Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just how great you truly are. And Lord, now as we come to this time where we study your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today, that, Father, you would move us, Lord, to put our faith into action, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be and to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that these words would be your words, that this time is a time that reflects and honors Jesus Christ and all that takes place. We pray it in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. We will bounce around a little bit, but uh, that's one of our key focal passages. Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at verses 18 through 20. Well, every year, the president delivers a State of the Union address in which he evaluates and talks about the previous year and kind of lays out plans of things that he hopes to accomplish in the upcoming year. And for many years, I've springboarded off of that idea to deliver in the first Sunday of January what I call the State of the Church Address, to kind of look back and talk about where God has been moving and what God has done in the previous year, but also kind of lay out just a brief overview of where I feel God is leading us in the upcoming year. And so today marks that first such sermon for me as the pastor at Mount Pleasant, Baptist Church. And you know, it's healthy to spend some time in reflection and evaluation, and the start of a new year is a great time for such an exercise. As I mentioned earlier, many of us have already evaluated our lives and made those New Year's resolutions on how we want to improve our lives in some way in the upcoming year. And that same exercise, that same activity is good for us to do as a body of believers as well. In Psalm 103, verse 2, the psalmist writes and said, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, forget not all his benefits. Forgetting not all of God's benefits is done by remembering what he's done and keeping in the forefront of our minds the hand and the activity of God, not just in the past, but in the present and also into the future that he calls us to. You may remember that as we studied through Nehemiah, I noted on several occasions how Nehemiah wrote and used the word remember. Nehemiah challenged the people to remember God's faithfulness in the past. He also admonished them to remember their sinfulness in the past and to not repeat it in the present or going into the future. And he pleaded with them to remember the promises of God so that they would be bold and courageous when they faced persecution and ridicule for following after the things of God. So remembering was a key theme in Nehemiah. But the most clear example that we see in Scripture of examining and evaluating the life and the work of a church is found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus comes and he speaks to the seven churches and he affirmed them in some areas and said, you have been doing well in this area in your faithfulness and your obedience to God. But he also rebuked them and he admonished them and saying, but these things you are lacking, you are not doing some of these things well in being faithful and obedient to God in your lives. And so he balanced both of those things. So it's a good thing to prayerfully reflect and evaluate where we are in our spiritual journeys and to ask God's direction as we seek to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So that being said, I want to say, I have seen the state of our church, and it's Virginia. Just kidding. I get to use it once, and that was it, so it got it out of the way. Now, all kidding aside, 
I am encouraged about what God is doing in our church. I am humbled and feel privileged to have been called as your senior pastor this last year. And I get giddy with excitement when I think about what God has in store for our future. I believe with all my heart that we have barely scratched the surface of all that God desires to do in and through the people and Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. 2009 was a good year at the Mount. Numbers aren't everything, and I'm not a numbers-driven person. However, I do examine and use some stats as an evaluation tool. And last year, we saw 34 people give their lives to Christ and follow uh, in believers' baptism to unite with our fellowship. And that's a good thing. I hope and pray that we never take for granted the joy and privilege of seeing people take this very important first step of obedience and follow through with believers' baptism. There are thousands of churches across the Southern Baptist Convention that didn't baptize a single person last year. And that breaks my heart for those churches that they're not reaching their their children and their teenagers or anyone in their community. Uh, And and it's humbling that that God would bless and that we would see people coming uh, and joining our church. Now, we have much room for improvement in this area. I'm going to tell you that straight up on the front end. We have much room for improvement, but it's exciting to see how the Lord is adding to our number through conversions uh, and baptisms. We also had 53 people unite last year through transfer of letter of their membership from another church or a statement of faith, which is where a person comes and says they have believed in Jesus Christ uh, for salvation and trusted in him alone, and they have been baptized by immersion uh, in in another church as a symbol, not that that their baptism made them saved, but as a symbol uh, of having died and been resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. And again, it's exciting that God's leading people to join the life and the ministry and the work here at the Mount. And these additions highlight one area for continued improvement in 2010. This is one of our our, our areas that we want to work on and focus some time. That's in the area of assimilation. Every person who joins our church is a responsibility and a resource for our church and for this body of believers. Uh, The job of those who are already here, of those of us who are attending, who are members, uh, who are connected here, our job is to reach out and connect and to help these people that God is bringing to our church uh, get engaged in the life and the work and the ministry of our church as they help us fulfill our mission of implementing the Great Commission in Colonial Heights, Virginia, and literally around the world. We're to reach and help them connect with the life and, and the work and the ministry that's taking place here as we try to reach others with the good news of Christ. So new members are a responsibility because in the Great Commission, if you look there in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an important remark for Jesus to make because him saying that he has the authority means he can tell us what to do. If God, our creator, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of our life, uh, gives someone authority to, to, to make decisions or tell us what to do, we should listen. And God had given Jesus this authority because of his faithfulness, his obedience, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, he gave Jesus the authority. So Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, since I have this authority, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Very specific commands. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
So as new members come and join our church, they are responsibility because Jesus told us that as a church, we are to make disciples. And it says of all nations, and the word for nations there is the word ethne, which means peoples or people groups. So all peoples uh, that give their lives to Christ should be made disciples. Well, how do we do that? Well, Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And you'll note that Jesus didn't just say, and teach them. End of sentence. He said, teaching them to obey. Discipleship is not just information that you learn a few verses or, or, or you learn this or you learn it. It's not an information exchange where I give you information and you say, okay, I know this, now I'm a disciple. It's not like passing your driver's test. It's an experiential thing. Discipleship means putting into practice what you have learned from Jesus Christ through the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong journey or activity that we seek to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship and our walk with Christ. So, so we have a responsibility to help people grow spiritually and mature in their knowledge and their understanding and their obedience to Jesus Christ and to God's word. So, so that is the responsibility that we carry to meet people and to invite them and to assimilate them into our small groups and into our ministries and into the activities in our church. And that is a big responsibility in a church our size. And the larger we continue to grow, the more important that responsibility comes for each and every one of us who are already here. If you have been a member at this church or been attending for quite some time, chances are you've forgotten how intimidating it can be to walk into this church or this building. People drive by this street. I've met people in the community talking with them. And they go, oh, you are that big church over there. Man, I don't think I could come there. That church is huge sitting on the corner. And you guys go, well, it's not that bad. I mean, you know people and you've been in the building and you walk around. And you're like, y'all are silly for being afraid of that. Do you remember when you came? I mean, if you didn't grow up here, when you walk into a big building, it can be intimidating. And so we need to think about those individuals. And we need to connect and make them feel at ease and comfortable uh, and do everything we can to make that a, a, a non-nerve-wracking experience as they come into and find their way. They come in and go, Where, where's church? Where are your bathrooms? Where do I take my kids? Where do my teenagers go? They don't know those things. They haven't been here before. So we've got to think about those things and help that assimilation process for people. So new members are a responsibility, but they are also a resource because the Bible teaches that every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. And God assembles every gift needed in every church to accomplish the mission and the work that he calls that church to do. So the issue of getting people engaged and plugged into ministry and serving in the local church weighs heavy on my heart. It is something that we have to be very conscious of, that you have to be alert to, and you need to be obedient in your walk and your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. Being a part of the body at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church is not a spectator sport. Did you hear that? Being a part of the body at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church is not a spectator sport. You need to be plugged in and engaged and following the call that God has placed on your life and using the gifts that God has given you because you have the gifts and God is extending the call. So the disconnect isn't between God giving or God calling. It's in us listening and responding and being obedient. We need you to be faithful and obedient in the call that God has placed upon your life if we are going to do all that God has called us to do. 
And that's not just some idea I had some sleepless night lying in bed. It's what the Bible teaches. Paul likened the church, he compared the church to a body. And he says every member is to function and work together so that the body can be healthy and growing and doing what it's supposed to do. And if it doesn't work together, if some part decides to boycott or not do what it's supposed to do, the whole body suffers. I mean, if your hand is not working and is causing you pain, it hinders what you're able to do because your hand's not functioning properly. And the same thing goes for your eyes and your ears and, and every part of your body, your legs, all of it works together. One of my most embarrassing moments in life came when I was in middle school at a beauty salon with my mom. She went to get her hair done and she was getting her, her hair done. I sat in one of those big hair dryer chairs, you know, the big massive thing that was there. I was reading a magazine and I propped it on my leg and I'm reading and I fell asleep sitting there in this uh, beauty salon. I mean, I was out and I remember waking up and my mom is at the door over here in the left part of the store and I wake up and I see her going, Curtis, come on, it's time to go. So I take the magazine and I sat it next to me and I stood up and it was all happened so fast that my brain didn't pick up the signals from my leg that it was asleep. You know how that goes when it's tingling and it doesn't work? So my brain didn't get that signal uh, when I took a step and then went to take the next step and my leg said, oh no, I'm not going anywhere. And I crumpled, boom, right there in the middle of this beauty salon. All these ladies are gawking at me like, what's going on? My mom had to walk over, pick me up, you know, put my arm around her, her neck and help me hobble out of there. Oh, it was horrifying as a middle school boy, you know, at that stage to have that go on. To this day, when I see hair dryers, my leg starts twitching and, and tingling. I was like, oh, all the, the memories come flooding me. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, but that, that, that picture in my mind, that experience of that day has always served as a personal reminder of how a church is not all that God has called it to be if every member isn't serving and contributing to the ministry and the work that God has called and equipped them to do. We need you to be a part. You need to be who God has called you to be in Jesus Christ, and you need to do what God has called you to do through the Holy Spirit because we will not be the church that God has called us to be if you're not fully engaged in the life and the ministry and the work of this church. Capiche? Got it? Are you hearing me? A nod of recognition is nice here. You guys, a little nod of recognition. All right, hey, stay with me. All right, well, this next note uh, from 2009 was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, we finished the year considerably under last year's approved budget. However, uh, because of staff vacancies and wise leadership and stewardship by your staff and your finance team, we did finish the year in the black. And trust me when I say that that is a positive thing in today's economy. Uh, I read and study and talk with pastors uh, all over the U.S. and in some of the different uh, resources that are there. And many, many churches had massive shortfalls and had to make drastic cuts and cutbacks and layoffs and things. So we were blessed to be where we were uh, at the end of 2009. My challenge to you uh, in this year is very simple. Give. All right, that's the simple challenge for our upcoming year. When it comes to uh, church finances and, and to church budgets, I believe in faith and common sense. Jesus said it's not wise to build a tower or go to war without first counting the cost. So there's an element of common sense and planning in that. And the staff and the finance team uh, did reduce our 2010 budget, and it's a budget that I feel very good about, uh, that we've looked at. We, we talked about the last two months of this last year. But here's the deal. I can't fully fund this year's budget, which is where you can help by doing your part that God has called you to do. 
If you have never consistently given, then I challenge you to make this a year where you uh, develop and grow in that spiritual discipline. Giving is the only area in the Bible where God invites us to put him to the test. Basically, God says, you give, even when it's difficult and even when it's painful and, and when, you, when it's hard and you feel like there's not going to be left, uh, enough month left at the end of the money. You know how that goes. You give and see if I will not provide for you and care for you in ways that you cannot imagine. God says, go ahead, test me in this area. And if you're not able to start with a tithe or a 10% or whatever it is, start, start with 5% or another amount and be faithful in giving that. But in Corinthians, Paul challenged the Corinthians at the, at the church there at Corinth to grow in their grace of giving. So if you're a regular giver, then I want to challenge you in 2010 to pray about increasing your giving. If you've got that tenth down pat, try the 10.5th or the 11th or 15th or 20th or something like that. Sound like a tire losing air and spraying the front row down here. Um, you know, it's humorous to me that we talk about growing spiritually in every area of our lives except in this discipline of giving. You know, we talk about spiritual growth and I need to do more of this and more of this. We don't often apply that to the area of giving. I wonder how that works out and why that works that way in our lives. We just seem to grow content when we hit a mark and say, okay, this is good enough. You know, I'm giving this amount, have been, so that's where I'm at. But what other area of your spiritual life do we get comfortable enough that we would go on autopilot in that same way? I mean, think about sharing our faith. Do we want to share our faith more? We know that we should, and we talk about we want to share our faith more. But we don't get to a point and say, well, I led five people to Christ. I'm at my lifetime quota. I'm done. You know, I'm not going to do any more evangelism. No, we don't do that. We know we need to share our faith. Well, I read the Bible all the way through, 66 books, got them all done. Pretty good book. I'm going to put it on the shelf and move on to the next one, you know. I mean, no, we need to read our Bibles more. We need to memorize it and we study it and, and we don't just read it once through and go, okay, well, that's good. You know, in our prayer lives, we don't say, well, I pray three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, even when I'm in public. <laughs> so I'm doing pretty good in my prayer journey. I guess I, I don't need to grow anymore in my prayer life. No, we don't talk like that. We say, man, I need to share my faith more and I don't need to pray. And, you know, we, we talk about reading our Bible and studying. Spiritual growth implies Growth. And it applies to this area, to the spiritual discipline of giving. Another thing to celebrate about 2009 is that we were part of establishing two church plants. Church planting is a very clear uh, New Testament evangelistic strategy. And your efforts in preparing and sending out people is wonderful. So continue to pray this year and support in ways that you can the real life and the remnant church plants. Now, on this last one, stick with me for just a second, uh, but we should rejoice that we were able to send another family to the mission field in Went and Vicki and Elijah and Shiloh Fox. Now, I'm not saying that, that we celebrate that they're no longer with us, but we celebrate that the gospel is being spread in India because of their faithful obedience to God's call and God's will for their lives. It is a blessing and an honor when God calls people to full-time Christian service of any kind, especially that of full-time mission efforts. And so we rejoice at what God has done in their lives and that we could be a part of their journey and celebrating that with them. And here's the truth of the matter. If God called the foxes and they didn't go and we're still here serving, but we're serving outside of the will of God, would you want that 
for them? Would you want that for our church to have them here serving outside of the will of God? I should hope that you wouldn't. We shouldn't want anyone to be serving and doing anything outside of God's specific call and will for their lives when we know and understand and recognize that call. So as painful as it's been for us, we want nothing more than to be in the center of God's will for them and for our church. So continue to pray for our church as we seek the next man that God has prepared and that God is leading to serve as our student pastor. May come as a shock to you, but... uh, God didn't call Went and Vicky and then go, oh, what am I doing now? There's not a student pastor at Mount Pleasant. Duh. I mean, it didn't come as a surprise to God. God knew then and God knows now who he has called and who he is preparing to come and serve as our next student pastor. So pray for me and pray for our personnel team and pray for our student ministry team as we seek God's direction and move deeper in this search process in 2010. So you see, 2009, I think, was a good year at the Mount. And I could take the next three hours to go over thoughts and ideas and ministries and strategies that I prayed about for 2010, but I'm going to be merciful to you, all right? I'm not going to take all that time. I just want to take a couple of minutes and share two key areas that rise to the top and and kind of summarize in umbrella fashion uh, most of the thoughts and ideas that rattle around in my pea brain as I think about 2010 and and pray through God's leading and direction. And it's not, as I mentioned, these two areas, it's not that that we're necessarily bad in these. It's just that without constant focus and attention to these areas in the life of our church, uh, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off track uh, and, and not be the healthy New Testament church that God has called us to be. So the first area that I want us to focus much time and attention and energy and resources in in 2010 is in the area of evangelism, in the area of evangelism. If we're not sharing the gospel and inviting people to give their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, we are not a New Testament church. I cannot be any more blunt or plain than that. If we are not sharing the gospel and inviting people to give their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, we are not a New Testament church. The Bible is that clear about the mission and the call that we have. The first word in the Great Commission, Jesus said, I've been given all authority, therefore. What's the first word? What's the first command that he gives after he establishes his authority? Therefore, go. That is a present imperative in the Greek, which means as you are going, we are to be constantly Always in everything we do, seeking to share the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to go. And as we go and we share the plan of salvation and people give their hearts and lives to Christ, what do we do? Well, that's the next step is discipleship that we talked about. But we are to be about sharing our faith. In his words before he was, he, but right before he ascended into heaven and in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to the disciples, You will be my 
witnesses you will be my witnesses what does a witness do a witness speaks of what he or she saw what they know what they experienced in a court of law witness comes and they give their testimony as to what they know what they saw what they experienced and that we are to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ to tell what he has done in our lives and invite others to come and to experience the same joy and hope and peace and strength and gift of salvation that we've experienced Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And he tells them where? In Jerusalem, which is where they were, and all Judea and Samaria, which is like the county, the region they're in. And ultimately, he says, and to the ends of the earth. You cannot get any more plain and simple than that. That is what God has called us to do as his people, is to share our faith. So to encapsulate that mission, you're going to hear me talk about doing evangelism across the street and around the world. Because that is our mission field. That is your mission field that God has called you to, to be sharing your faith, to be sharing the hope of salvation that Jesus Christ brings across the street and around the world. So we're going to do things this year to help us do exactly that. Share our faith, connect, reach out to people who do not yet know Christ across the street and around the world. Now there's a whole lot to say on this point, but let me just give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, relationships are key relationships are key I want you to invest in relationships with those who don't know Christ your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members uh, people you interact with on a regular basis the, the, the restaurants that you go to the servers who were there the bank tellers grocery clerks gas station attendants parents at your little league fields and, and the ball games and the list goes on and on build and invest in those relationships with those people and be intentional in those relationships about sharing parts of your spiritual journey and planting seeds of the gospel and if God opens the door sharing the plan of salvation with individuals and I'll talk some more about specifics later we'll get a lot more into that down the road but for now Begin investing in those relationships and in those relationships that you already have built. Pray for God to open the door and give you an opportunity to be able to share Christ, share your story, your testimony as to what God has done so God can work and move in that person's heart and life and spirit. And let me take this responsibility off of you in evangelism. You will not save anyone. People are not saved by Curtis. They're not saved by you. They are saved by Jesus Christ. That's why you hear me talk about leading people to Christ. We need to lead them to Christ because he is the one that saves them. Our responsibility nowhere in the Bible is ever to save anyone. The only task we are given is that of telling. We are to tell, we are to share. God does the work of changing a heart, forgiving sins, and giving the gift of eternal life in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is his work. That is his responsibility. Our task is to tell, is to share, and invite people to know and experience what we know and have experienced. That's our responsibility in the relationships that we're in in 2010. So build relationships. Secondly, I would encourage you to engage in evangelistic opportunities that we have here at the Mount. We've done some things this last year. We're going to do more this year to help us build relationships in our community, to plant seeds of the gospel, and to share the gospel with people. Uh, We did a number of things last year. We did a servanthood evangelism project. Some of you came. We went and distributed free light bulbs with a little note on that about, you know, this light's going to burn out, but Jesus Christ is the light of the world that never extinguishes in our life. And so we went and we gave out free light bulbs. Uh, Last year, we sponsored a car show 
we went to the back to school bash down here. We distributed free bottles of water as the kids were coming and getting all of their school supplies and just said, hey, you know, we're from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Here's a gift for you. Thanks uh, for what you're doing in the community or have a great school year. You know, we went and gave out free bottles of water. Uh, we hosted a Christian comedian a couple of months ago. You know, we're going to continue to do things like that and add many others. So when you see those things advertised in the bulletin, when we talk about them and, and show you some videos and stuff, get plugged into those things. Those are opportunities for us to reach out to our community and build bridges to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I would challenge you to equip yourself in the area of personal evangelism. Equip yourself for sharing the gospel. This spring, uh, on Wednesday evenings, we're going to offer a course in personal evangelism called The Way of the Master. And it's an evangelism course that's designed to help you present the plan of salvation in a clear, understandable way and to help give you ideas and resources for beginning a conversation and opening that door and presenting the plan of salvation. You'll also be equipped to answer some of the common objections that people have as you share salvation or questions that come with that, as well as be mentored. You'll go out with people and watch them share their faith and and enter into these conversations so you can kind of learn from them. And then you'll be given the opportunity to share your faith as well. It's a great class and it's an excellent way uh, to to build your your courage and your boldness and, and your confidence in sharing your faith with other people. So I encourage you to sign up and be a part of that uh, this spring. And finally, I would just simply say, be inviting. Be inviting. And I wrestled with how to say this, and there are a lot of different multiplications of it, but but I mean two things when I say be inviting. One is that each of us should be examples and testimonies to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Paul said this, he said, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one where the smell of death to the other, the fragrance of life. Paul means that our lives and our witness and our testimony should be pleasant, good aromas that draw people to Christ, not repels them because we're pungent or disgusting. Your life, your example, your testimony is a powerful tool in either drawing people to Christ or driving a wedge and potentially moving them further away from Christ. So I have to ask you this morning, how is your example? How is your witness and your testimony and the aroma and the fragrance of Jesus Christ to those people around you? They're watching. They're listening. And your life and your example says something. What does it say? I pray that you'll reflect on that question because it's a very important question for each of us. And the answers to it carry eternal significance. But secondly, when I say be inviting, I also mean I want you to invite people. (laughs) Pretty obvious. Be inviting. Invite people to things. Invite them to church, obviously. Invite them to to have a relationship with Christ. Uh, And we provided resources to be able to do that, like invite cards and other things. And and, and it's simple. Let let me illustrate with this video here. Watch the screens on how simple it is to invite people to, to our church. from the ShamWow commercials or the Slap Chopper. 
You know what I'm talking about there? And you may remember me from the Curtis Barnes Learn to Preach Like Me DVD series that we sold a few few months ago. Uh, really big in Germany. You know the Germans, they love everything. Anyway, he's like the Hasselhoff over there. This morning we're here to talk to you about invitation cards, alright? Because you need to be inviting people to church. Like you have people that you work with. You have grandma, grandpa, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. We got invitation cards for everybody. You know what I'm talking about? So, the next time you, you feel the urge to invite somebody to church and you don't know what to say, you can just jump up with one of these invitation cards and put it in the hot little hand. You don't even have to say anything. It has all the information that you could ever want and need on the back. It has our service times, our website, our phone number. It's got everything that you could possibly want, hope, or imagine on this card. You may be saying to yourself, how much money do these cards cost me? Well, I'll tell you right now, it's not $149.95 like the Slap Chopper. It's not 10 cents a piece for the DVDs like the Curtis Bonds Learn to Preach Like Me DVD series. These are absolutely free. I tell you, all you have to do to get them is come out to this welcome desk after the service. They're everywhere. All you have to do is pick up one for you, one for mom, one for dad, one for your brother, one for your sister, 17 more for the kids. I don't know how many kids you have. It's crazy like that. But all I have to tell you is this. If you want to invite people to everything that's going on in this church, the best way to do it is through one of our invitation cards. So all you have to do is pick it up. Tell them Vince sent you. They'll give you five extra cards for free. Any questions, all you have to do is come find me. Remember, that's Vince. I'm the, the guy you see for the invitation cards. That's all the time we have. I appreciate your time. We have printed up a ton of those cards for you to be able to take and just to invite people. This one is advertising an upcoming sermon series that I'll mention here in just a few minutes. And that's a humorous look at it. Uh, But you know what? I want you to take inviting people seriously. Be very serious in inviting people to church and to the activities that we offer. You're not trying to talk them into purchasing something that they don't need or don't want, you know, like a wow or a slap chopper. You're building bridges to share the most important message known to mankind, the message of salvation and hope in Jesus Christ. And there should be joy and excitement in their voice in doing that. So many times, I think Christians are like Eeyore, you know, inviting people to church or sharing their faith. You know, you can come to church with me if you want, but you probably have something better to do. Man, my kids used to watch Winnie the Pooh. I could handle any of the characters of Eeyore. I'm like, ah, he drives me crazy with that. Uh, And I I just feel so many believers have that same, oh yeah, there's no joy in our people. Like, yeah, I think I may pass on that invitation to that church if they're all going to sit around and be like you that's there. You know, there should be joy and excitement in our lives and we should express and people should see that joy. Well, the second area for continued growth and emphasis this year, again, not because it's necessarily lacking, but because of its utmost importance, is that of leadership development. John Maxwell, a church leadership consultant, says everything rises and falls on leadership. And I so agree with Dr. Maxwell on that. And we have many godly, gifted, mature, wise leaders in our church serving on our staff and on our ministry teams as Sunday school teachers and deacons and volunteers. And we want to help take steps to ensure that those leaders grow and develop and continue to lead at our church. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that pastors are to prepare God's people for the works of service. 
Pastors aren't to do all the work of the service, but to prepare people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's for the good of the body that people are prepared and equipped. And that charge applies especially uh, to preparing those who have the Romans 12, 8 gift of leadership and who are called by God to serve where he's placed them. Now, we'll get into that further later, but simply understand that we will place a premium on leadership development. We're never going to stop looking for new leaders, for training our current leaders, and then letting them go to do ministry. In Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came and he told him, you're going to wear yourself out by doing all this stuff for these people. Appoint godly leaders uh, to be over people in different group sizes and then let them lead, Moses. You're, You're killing yourself and you're hurting these people by doing everything on your own. And so Moses did that. He gave people varying levels of responsibility and he allowed them to lead in those areas. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles uh, had the people select six godly men uh, filled with the Spirit who could oversee the food distribution so they could give themselves more fully to prayer and the ministry of the Word is what they said. And so they unleashed them to do ministry. Uh, And we want to follow that biblical example of finding and appointing godly leaders and then allowing them to lead. So that's two areas for this year. And as I said, there's much time and effort and details and all of that that we're not going to talk about today. But starting on January 17th, I'm going to begin a series uh, called The Fantastic Four, Faith Unleashed, where I'm going to take three weeks and cover each of the four core values that we're going to use as a foundation for building strong, vibrant, healthy, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, which in turn will help us build a strong, healthy New Testament church. And I invite you to be here for part of that series, but not just for the series, for what God is going to do in the life of our church in this year. One thing that we do every week is we give an invitation where we invite you to respond to how God may have spoken. So God may have moved in your heart this morning and said, you know what, it's the beginning of a year and he's right. There are some things, there are some areas that you need to work on. Maybe it's in sharing your faith and you want to pray for an individual and pray for God to open doors and opportunities for you to share. Maybe it's about leadership and serving. Maybe God's pricked your heart and said, yeah, you know what, you need to get plugged in. You used to be doing such and such and such and you're not there. You're not in Sunday school. You're not leading. You're not serving. You're not doing whatever. And God said, now is the time to get back in the game. This isn't a spectator sport. I need you. I want you. Get plugged in. Get connected now, today. So maybe today you need to renew that commitment to serving and being more faithful in your service to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never received God's plan of salvation. Well, our pastors will be available. We'd love to talk and lead you in a prayer to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you've been visiting for a while, you've been walking around, checking things out, kind of kicking the tires on a new car, going, "Eh, I'm not real sure, but you've been here and God says, this is the place. Now is the time for you to join, get connected, and help this church do what I've called it to do. I don't know what decisions may be in your heart. Maybe it's to surrender to full-time Christian service, a vocation of some kind, the mission field. But if God has spoken, today is the day for you to be obedient, for you to respond and say, yes, Lord, I will do what you've called me to do. Let's pray. Father, we we pause in this moment. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the challenges that are there for us. And Lord, I thank you that you don't call us to do these things and then just let us figure out how to do it. Because at the end of the great commission, Lord, you gave us one of the greatest promises in all of scripture. You said, and surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. So, Father, we thank you for your presence that is promised to us. And we know that when your presence comes, it brings your power. So, Lord, I pray that this year we would live in the fullness of your presence and experience your power to do what you've called us to do individually and corporately. Lord, in this invitation time, we give ourselves, we give this time to you. We make this our prayer in the name of your Son. Amen.